Nate always has such a casual, casual uh, feel up here. I really like that. <laughs> so let me start with a story. If I had been there, I would have embraced the sentiment of the crowd around me. You see, from the perspective of those around us that day, the relationship that unfolded before our very eyes seemed incredibly odd. And here's why. In the town of Jericho, we had plenty of advance warning. The word on the street was strong. Many were talking about this guy by the name of Jesus who was actually moving throughout Judea and was gaining such a, a claim to fame, leaving behind him a trail of stories about healings, about parables with context that we could actually understand, and a way of life that could actually change people. And the energy around this Jesus was gaining interest every single day, creating a groundswell of, of hope. Some in the crowd were actually believing that Jesus could save us, that he would be the long-awaited Messiah, able to free us from Roman oppression. Needless to say, the coming of Jesus to Jericho in that city that day, for us, created a frenzy. It sparked all kinds of curiosity, and it seemed to precipitate a very strange turn of events. Because right in the midst of the crowd that day, there was an individual many in our town had come to despise. It was an individual who really didn't represent one of us. I mean, for sure he was a Jew, but he certainly wasn't on our team. By title, he was a tax collector. By practice, he was a thief, a gangster of sorts, one who stole from his own people to give what was due to Rome, at the same time skimming the top in order to inflate his own personal well-being. He was extremely rich by first-century standards and as a result was deserving of being ostracized and marginalized by his own people. And for those reasons alone, his presence that day in the crowd was displeasing and surprising all at the same time. So we watched this outsider, who, by the way, was not only a little man in heart and character, he was also a little man in stature. He behaved oddly. And he was gripped by the anticipated arrival of Jesus. And so in preparation, he decided to climb a tree, a sycamore tree. It appeared that he wanted to find a way to see Jesus. And so he perched high in his post, and he waited patiently to get a glimpse of Jesus. Then Jesus enters our town. Everyone's on high alert, watching, and with great expectation, we imagine more stories, more miracles, more sorting between those who have a place and those who have no place. But instead of meeting our expectations, Jesus does the unexpected. He stops under the sycamore tree. He calls out to this man, 
And he calls him by name. And he says, quick, quick, come down. For today, I must be a guest at your home. Can you believe it? Jesus is making space for the worst of individuals. Leaving the rest of us perplexed, annoyed at the thought, even casting judgment. How can this be? The one who claimed that the rich would find it difficult to inherit the kingdom of God is now asking this despicable candidate to host a dinner on his behalf. He's about to eat and drink with the one we all despise. It's such a strange turn of events. Although we are deeply dismayed, we continue to watch intently, and sure enough, we see the outsider find his way down this tree. We see him greeting Jesus with joy and excitement, with respect and honor, and all the while we, st we stand around and we grumble and complain as this Jesus is now going to this man's home. And here's where the story takes in an, a unique twist. Even though we are not present at the table, the table seems to be where everything happens. By all accounts, the eating and drinking produces an outcome beyond measure. Something happens in that household that day around that meal and somehow in the dialogue, there's life change. The one we labeled as lost finds new life. The one who took advantage of his fellow citizens has a change of heart. He wants to make restitution, to right his wrongs, to repay those that he overcharged with four times as much. And not only that, we discover later on that this man's entire household has been impacted. Grace and kindness come to this man's home from being in this relationship, this dialogue with Jesus. It's a remarkable story of transformation. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And you can read about it in Luke 19. The story of Zacchaeus has piqued interest in the story of Jesus in a fresh way. I'm especially intrigued by the eating and drinking part, not in a way that minimizes why Jesus came or makes inquiry about the meal plan the day at the home of Zacchaeus. No, no, not at all. What's intriguing is how the relationship and dialogue around the table with Zacchaeus not only changes Zacchaeus, but points to the story of Jesus and his mission with a new perspective. When it comes to the mission of Jesus, there are three phrases that pop out in the New Testament. And the first one we find in Luke 19, in the story that's about Zacchaeus. In the verses, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to draw others far from him into this lifestyle aligned with God's vision for all people. The second verse is found in Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came 
to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross for your sin and mine so that we could be forgiven. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. And then finally, the reason for Jesus coming that really piques my interest this morning. The son of man came eating and drinking. Matthew eleven nineteen. If the mission of Jesus is to serve and to save, then it's important to notice the way in which Jesus accomplished his work. Jesus is able to leverage all kinds of ways to complete his work, but what's really fascinating is this methodology of eating and drinking. This was an intentional strategy of Jesus, a practice which resulted in lives being changed and transformed. If you examine the entire book of Luke, you're going to find all kinds of examples where Jesus is eating and drinking. Time and time again, he's either on his way to someone's house for a meal, he's actually enjoying a meal, or he's leaving the place of a meal. The very social eating habits of Jesus were influential in drawing others into the lifestyle of following him. And more importantly, embracing his mission of serving and saving others. The vehicle for advancing the kingdom of God was through the power of hospitality. Hospitality was the way for Jesus to engage people in his world. For good reasons, maybe even because of his human need for three meals a day, just like you and me, Jesus always seems to be located around a table, a place for eating and drinking. In fact, at the end of the book of Luke, we find Jesus around the table, again with his disciples, like we did this morning, breaking bread and drinking wine, pointing to his death. And it really didn't stop there. After Jesus was resurrected, we find Jesus reunited with his disciples. And when they stood around and wondered and doubted about who this might be, he asked them this question. Do you have anything to eat? It seems the emphasis on eating and drinking is central to the life and ministry of Jesus. The practice reminds us of the power in being together, of breaking bread together and the potential for the kind of nourishment that we can receive both physical and spiritual jesus encourages us to eat together so consider for a moment where have you seen that practice make an impact for me it happens on alternate tuesday nights if you show up here at church on alternate Tuesday evening, what you'll find is 12 to 15 men of various ages and stages. It's a pretty unique group of guys. I don't want to say that I'm the youngest because I'm not. But it's a great group of guys who make an investment in a spiritual and relational workout for 90 minutes. We show up regularly to build relationship and through a culture of hospitality, provide a time to connect, to share, and to listen to each other's stories and to have a bit of fun together. The meeting always begins with some eating and drinking, but the bulk of the event is really about having intentional conversations 
around life and faith, about work and family and character and prayer and being examples of Jesus and a ton more. And it's through those conversations that I've discovered an amazing group of guys who have become the catalyst for relational and spiritual growth in each one of us. I think we're better together. We're better together because we come together and we make space for each other. Now, once in a while, we mix up the rhythm with an extra event of sorts. This can be a special outing. We might have an evening, like a barbecue in someone's backyard, or go-karting, or a trip to the Jordan house, or our recent Christmas get-together. These moments are just another way to make space for each other. And truth be told, it's never really too hard to rally the boys for such an event. What's fascinating, though, is that in those special gatherings, the landscape of the room does change. There's a noticeable change in the peer dynamics when we gather in those settings. The room is far more relaxed, the conversations are heightened, and the walls that could possibly create division or difference are, are essentially gone. This happens every time, and it's beautiful to observe. Food and drink become the catalyst where I believe God's able to do his most important work in all of us. Food and drink is a great equalizer. It creates a safe space, and quite honestly, I think food and drink help us to be better together. We are better together when we build those activities into our rhythm of life. And it does help us to grow and to cultivate a greater trust in God. I share those stories this morning because all of them point to the way that God has designed each of us. Each of us are created to be in community, to not be alone. And eating together has the power to change our relationships and to change us, to transform our lives, even our households. And to be clear, eating together means more than simply eating together. Eating together means making space for relationship, actually making space to slow down, to prioritize friendship, and to invest in the things that can grow us. These are necessary to living life better together. The truth of the matter is, is that relationships and friendships need time and space. We live in a fast food culture epitomizing a culture that has no time to eat and basically no time for relationships. Our pace of life impacts our eating habits and leaves little room for slow cooking. Just like a good home-cooked meal, it requires time to mix, simmer, and be savored. The same is true with relationships. It takes time to mix, simmer, and be savored. And I know the challenges and obstacles to becoming a community of relationship and friendship are real. They exist in our household as well as yours. Many of us would be quick to say, you know, truthfully, Rick, I just don't have any more time for more people, more relationship. Our schedules, our work commitments, our kids, our finances, our extracurricular activities, even our vacations can prevent us for more relationship at the table. We're so busy with life 
that even the current relationships we do have seem to skim along the surface, causing us to miss out on a depth of connection or any kind of growth or life change for that matter. Pace eliminates space. And often it seems there's no room for relationship. And then let's not forget about the other end of the spectrum. There are those in the room who for far too long have felt isolated and alone on the fringe of a relationship. And they would wonder or even consider themselves exempt from inviting other people or being invited. Their current level of inclusion makes them skeptical of casting a bigger net for relationship. Both extremes of relationship are real, and some of us find us ourselves in the land between. The point is this. Too often, we limit our depth of connection or our potential for growth and life change because we settle. We settle for the current experience and we fail to take a next step to initiate change. Last week at the end of the service, we conducted a survey of sorts, providing statements around eating together, praying together, and loving together, what we would consider to be the bullseye of healthy and and thriving life groups. And truthfully, that's what we want for our community as well, to be eating, praying, and loving together. The statements were intended to assess your current practice. How are you doing? To take a personal inventory of sorts. And so when it comes to eating together, here's what we discovered. The first statement looks like this. I make an effort to eat most of my meals together with other people and without screens on. And the results would indicate that about 61% of us were... We're responding quite favorably to that. 39% were indifferent or disagreed, which kind of suggests that almost 40% of us may be feeling like that's our practice. We eat without other people or we do so in front of screens. The second one, I carve out time in my calendar on a weekly basis simply for investing in friendship and relationship. Again, 58% responded favorably, finding this to be true. 42% were neutral and negative, which may indicate that many of us find it difficult to find time to invest in relationships throughout the week. And then the last one, I have a group of people who I can regularly kick back with and have worry-free fun together. So it's interesting, 76% responded favorably, 24% negatively, which kind of looks like a positive outcome. But it still means that one in four people may be feeling isolated or alone. In a room like this one, that means 50 of us, approximately, could be feeling a bit isolated. That doesn't feel very good right now. And nor does it feel acceptable to me. The exercise was not intended to create guilt or shame, to make people feel good or bad, right or wrong about current practice. It was really intended to celebrate good steps taken 
but also to motivate and initiate change where change is needed. And so I ask this question, what would you do differently in 2020 as it relates to eating together? Like Zacchaeus, making space for Jesus. What could you do in 2020 to generate different results when it comes to initiating relationships? Like Jesus, embracing the practice of hospitality. If we just keep doing the same things over and over again, we're going to get the same results. Maybe even the results of 2019, which for some of us might not be worth repeating. And so how can we overcome the challenges, the challenges that get in the way of blocking relationship? What could we do differently to make space for friendship? Believing that making space for each other is a way to be better together. How can we experience different results? As a church, we believe being better together starts right here, right in this room, in that cafe, in the rooms where we pick up our children, on the parking lot, even with the six inches of water in the back, in your life group, through our anchor causes, And it goes beyond that. It happens at your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the rink. It's in those spaces that we get the chance to be better together. And the do differently actually starts with you, and it starts with me. Imagine the impact you could make on a Sunday morning experience. Not just showing up here to satisfy you and your family, not that that's a bad thing, but actually showing up because you want to be, make a difference in someone else's story. What if you came 15 to 20 minutes earlier? What if you stayed 20 minutes later? This could have a profound impact on relationship. Imagine the impact you could make if you crossed the cafe to extend a greeting to someone unfamiliar to you or maybe unfamiliar to us? What if you invited that individual or that family over to your home at some point for a coffee or a light lunch? What if you reached out to them over consecutive weeks? What if you made space for Start the Party, which we're going to hear a little bit more about later, but Start the Party happens on January the 26th. And we need hosts to open their homes up for others. We need you to sign up to be a guest because you just don't want to miss out on the opportunity for relationship. Think about our anchor causes. You know, our anchor causes always seem to revolve around food. The Harvest Kitchen in Welland serves about 100 individuals every other week. The shelter serves at least 50 individuals a day. Our Caribbean Worker Program we look after two to 300 men in the region here. And numerous times we do that around food. Food is wonderful, but it's allowing us to actually flex the muscles of relationship, to make uh, a difference through friendship. I want you to consider Alpha. Alpha is going to start on January the 27th. And for nine Mondays, we're going to sit around a table and we're going to enjoy some great food. We're going to engage in relationship and we're going to have some 
pretty amazing conversations about life and faith. Alpha's about making space, having dialogue. It could produce amazing stories of transformation. Some of you are in life groups. What if you made the commitment to show up at every single night your group meets, believing that your presence is not just expected, but it's needed. Your group is stronger because you're there. It fuels a lifestyle of connection. Maybe some of you want to get in a group. If that's you, talk to me. Although many of the examples are being lived out in the context of our church family, we need to recognize that there are numerous ways to seize opportunities in our everyday lives to be people of hospitality, people committed to hospitality because we want to live like Jesus and we want Jesus to live through us. And sometimes we just simply need to pay attention to the moments in our days, the people in our lives, and the chances we get to model Jesus. Recently, our connection department came across an interesting account where an individual leveraged his need for a ride, his need for a meal, and his proximity to relationship to be a difference maker for Jesus. I invite you to check out the screen. This is a pastor in New York. One day I got into a taxi and uh, we were driving past a restaurant that was one of my favorite restaurants and it was always popular. There was a line out the door. And I'd struck up a conversation with the taxi driver and he was an immigrant like I was. And there was a lot of controversy at the time about immigrants and people moving to this nation. There was a lot of fear of the other. Who were these people coming in? Would they disrupt our way of life? A lot of political commentary like that. But I, as we began to talk, all of those stereotypes fell away and we just found ourselves being fathers, both from different places, trying to make our way into this country. And as we moved past this particular restaurant with a line out the door, I said to him, hey, have you ever eaten there? Have you tried that food? And he said to me, no, I, I always see the lines there. I've always wondered if it's good. So I said to him, hey, if you leave the meter running in the taxi and I run in and grab some of that food, do you want to just sit here and keep talking? And he said, would you really do that? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I ran in and I got him some of this food and it was actually this, almost like a transcendent moment. It was two men from other sides of the world sitting in a taxi, sharing food. And all of the stereotypes about who he was and what he represented just melted away. And we had in the middle of New York, this little portal of belonging that broke in in the midst of all the stereotypes, all of the suspicion, just opening our hearts, sharing our stories. And it was, it was the, the highlight of my day. And as we got out of the taxi, I realized that's exactly what had happened. This environment of welcome shifted our understanding of each other. And this community of belonging was formed, even for a moment in a taxi on the side of the street in the middle of New York. And I couldn't help but wonder what would happen in our lives if we just paid attention to those little promptings and these environments of welcome, these little portals of hospitality broke out. And if that became a normal practice for followers of Jesus in coffee shops, in workplaces, on sports fields, soccer moms, everybody, there would just be these, this deconstruction of fear and there would be an, an inbreaking of love and welcome. And that may be what we're called to do as followers of Jesus in our time. So we 
It's a great sto- story. <clears throat> it's one that I think can inspire all of us to pay attention in our everyday lives. Kind of like the story of Zacchaeus, the story of Jesus. Kind of like the story of a men's group. It just highlights the, the significance of seizing every opportunity that we have in our everyday lives, in our eating and drinking lives, to be people who are actually making space for relationship. And so I wonder, what's going to be your story in 2020? What do you think about your space for relationship? What does that look like today? What could be different a week from now, a month from now, 12 months from now? Could it be a space where you leverage the muscles of hospitality, creating the possibility for life change in somebody else's life and even in your own? Could it be a a space where you've actually learned to slow down, to prioritize friendship, to invest in activities that grow relationship? I mean, at the end of the day, Jesus is inviting every single one of us into this lifestyle of connection. And it's a lifestyle where even when we eat together, we can be better together. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. Jesus, we come to you. And even as we think about the kind of morning we've already had, and the, the, the picture of this table, this, of the table um, representing your body's sacrifice for each one of us. But the table is so powerful and so profound because it, it, it inspires us to be people who would be actively looking to relate with others, to be around tables eating and drinking, allowing ourselves uh, to grow together, allowing ourselves to be models of you, loving other people. I thank you for that beautiful picture this morning. Thank you for the way that you've modeled that for us. And I pray, God, that you would help us as we even assess and reflect on the way that we currently live out our lives that you will challenge us and grow us uh, to be people of hospitality, to be people who make space for others, uh, to be people who would pay attention to the opportunities even in our given days uh, to leverage relationship with other people. Uh, Thank you for each person here. We know that we are all on this journey. We pray that we can encourage each other in that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.